United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. Joining us now is Frank Om. He is the senior expert on Northeast Asia at the U.S. Institute of Peace. He oversees the Institute's work on Northeast Asia and focuses on ways to strengthen diplomacy, to reduce tensions, and enhance peace and stability on the Korean Peninsula. He also has worked with the Department of Defense, including as special counsel to the Army General Counsel, special assistant to the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Asian and Pacific Security Affairs, and Senior Advisor on North Korea and the Office of the Secretary of Defense. Frank um, joins us now. Welcome and good morning. How are you? Good, Laura. Thanks for having me. You know, just this past Thursday, July 27th, was the 70th anniversary of the Korean armistice. I know that um, many were marking that particular day as um, and just, and reflecting on the 70-year span since You also have a op-ed out in the Washington Post where you say the West has the power to restart dialogue with North Korea. Can you tell us a little bit about why you think that power is there? And of course, it's it's hard to look at this in a vacuum, knowing that there is at least one American um, member of the military who who crossed over and tried to run, it seems, into North Korea. Where do things start right now? Right. Well, the, the reason uh, I wrote the op-ed was first that, again, like you said, we're celebrating the 70th anniversary of the end of the Korean War. And a lot of the celebrations in the United States and South Korea focus on uh, the military accomplishments of the war. So, for example, the establishment of the U.S.-South Korea alliance, the sacrifices of the veterans from the war. And, and that's all well and good. But what we should the what we should remember from the war, the main takeaway should be the fact that we used diplomacy uh, during the war to end bloodshed, and so the focus should be on the armistice, the use of diplomacy, rather than trying to celebrate the uh, or more so than celebrating the alliance. So the reason I said that the West has the power is because right now we are currently in a stalemate. Uh, both sides are using deterrence right now because, and deterrence is basically a DC jargon. Uh, it means that uh, we're trying to impose costs on the other side so that they don't take hostile actions against us. So, from the US South Korea perspective, we are building up our military exercises. We are uh, demonstrating the, uh, the superiority of US South Korean military air power, our, our nuclear triad, all of this to try to contain North Korea, right? But there's got to be more than just deterrence. Deterrence is not an end. Um, The idea of deterrence is that we're supposed to buy time, prevent hostility, and then we use that time uh, diplomatically to resolve the differences that require deterrence in the first place. And the only way to do that is to start engaging with North Korea. You know, the idea of deterrence over diplomacy, it, it seems it might it must feel disingenuous to think you're really being diplomatic with someone when you're just trying to fend them off. It, it doesn't bode well in terms of either side trusting if the only goal and policy is to stop the other. On the other hand, I mean, it's not as if we have a, a relationship with North Korea 
similar to an ally by any means where you do have some foundational trust or even a geopolitical enemy where there might be some common interest. It seems with North Korea, it is very unique and very specific. How does that factor into the ability to do more than just deterrence? You're absolutely right. I mean, there is an absolute deficit of trust on both sides. Um, um, Both North Korea and the United States uh, don't trust each other. Um, uh, We feel there's a a lot of hostility coming from the other side. Um, But again, it it doesn't do us any good to be uh, in this mutual deterrence mode. North Korea is trying trying to deter us by developing nuclear weapons and uh, enhancing the capabilities of its long-range missiles. We're doing the same by um, uh, bringing over U.S. bombers to the Korean Peninsula, nuclear-armed submarines uh, to South Korea. Uh, But what this does is it creates an arms race. It's a cycle where one side tries to one-up the other because they both fear each other. Uh, You're right. um, You know, we don't have a good foundation uh, to build diplomacy off of. Somebody needs to take the first move. Uh, And we've seen in the past that there's there's precedent for uh, the United States and North Korea engaging and that leading to better behavior, especially a lower level of provocations from North Korea. It's not easy, but someone needs to start. So who is there another nation that might be of assistance? I mean, is the United States going at this alone? Uh, and sometimes third parties can be helpful. So, for example, in 2017, uh, 2018, when President Trump met with uh, Kim Jong-un, uh, there was an intermediary, the South Korean president, Moon Jae-in. He was a left-leaning president who was very much interested in engaging North Korea. And so he sent his envoys uh, over to North Korea. Kim Jong-un expressed an interest in meeting with President Trump, and South Korea relayed that back to Trump. And then you had the summit that happened in Singapore in 2018. Currently, the South Korean president, Yoon sung yeol is a hardliner. Uh, he is less interested in engaging with North Korea. And so you don't have South Korea now as a natural intermediary. Perhaps China, but because of U.S.-China relations being uh, not good right now, uh, they may not uh, be able to serve as, uh, as an intermediary as well. So we're in a difficult situation where um, we can't find a third party who can help out. That being said, uh, we shouldn't have to rely on third parties. It's uh, we should be able to take the first move. The U.S. is the stronger country. We should have the confidence to say, hey, let's talk. You know, you you mentioned your piece for The Washington Post that, you know, to reiterate the point you've raised earlier, that rather than these perfunctory attempts at talks, you wanted to demonstrate greater sincerity for negotiations by the U.S. unilaterally offering concessions to North Korea. Um, And there is some academic research to support that a conciliatory gesture made first by a stronger country could maybe induce reciprocity. Um, But then there's a political reality where we know we are, what, 462 days away from a presidential election, and we are always cognizant of Um, our international standing and global positioning, even without a presidential election looming. How do you how do you convince a politician to be the one to unilaterally offer a concession and appear conciliatory without appearing politically weak to the eventual demise of that candidacy? Well, let me first say that when when you tell uh, the current administration, the Biden administration, that it needs to engage more, the way they respond is to say, 
we have already reached out multiple times um, sort of, uh, through di diplomatic channels uh, in New York, uh, and North Korea has not responded, right? So they claim that they reached out multiple times. There's nothing else that they can do if North Korea is not interested in talking. But what I would say there is that um, when Biden went to South Korea for a summit with President Yoon last year, a South Korean journalist asked President Biden, do you have a message for Kim Jong-un? And the way that President Biden responded was, hello, period. And of course, this terse response was meant to demonstrate toughness. But I think the way Kim Jong-un put that message was that President Biden is not interested in talking, right? So it doesn't matter if the State Department reaches out to North Korea a hundred times when there doesn't seem to be real uh, sincerity at the leader level. Now, you're absolutely right that um, it's it may be politically unrealistic at the moment um, to try these sorts of conciliatory gestures, but it can be done uh, again in a hush-hush manner. You know, for example, uh, confidential letters uh, to Kim Jong-un that express some of the types of uh, conciliatory behavior or, or gestures that we're interested in taking if North Korea comes back to talks. And these don't have to be uh, made public. Uh, but you're right. It's, it's going to be tough sell uh, in the current political environment. Really fascinating um, to talk to you today and hear about this. I do wonder what will happen in the long run. Thank you for joining us and giving your take. I encourage everyone to read um, your full opinion piece as well. It is available right now. If you go to the Washington Post, our guest is Frank Aum, A-U-M. Thank you for joining us. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for having me. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.